If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. The puking pumpkins and the idea of the endothermic reactions that are happening there, it's just always so fun to see. If you use clear glue, then your slime can be sparkly. It turns pink, you mix in a little different concoction and it goes back to clear. And it was like a magic trick. Seeing how folks were so surprised by how cool science could be is totally what does it for me. And that cool factor is at the heart of a special Halloween event which Las Vegas Natural History Museum hosts annually. Called Dinoween, this is a celebration that puts the museum's dinosaurs center stage while combining elements of a Halloween haunt, maker activities, and a general party atmosphere. This year's Dinoween happens Friday, October 28th, as visitors take a closer look at the science behind some fun Halloween special effects. And Dinoween is just one of the events which the museum offers as they explore the creative and fun applications of science. Kate Porter is co-executive director of the Las Vegas Natural History Museum. Kate, something pretty exciting is just about to happen at Las Vegas Natural History Museum for Halloween. What is this? That's right. This Nevada Day is a Clark County School District holiday for all the students. So we are opening our doors and hosting Dino Ween at the museum. We've partnered with Tag Team Productions and Masterful Creations to transform the museum into a not-too-spooky mad scientist lab. And children in costume get to visit the museum for free. It'll include lots of different activities. And honestly, it's one of the most fun days of the year at the museum. How much fun does that sound? How did you first come up with the concept of Dino Ween? I cannot take credit for it, to be completely honest. It was a team effort. My co-director, Lori Thomas, came up with the concept and the name. And as we started working with our staff on it, we realized that everybody at the museum had a passion for Halloween and spooky science and, and just kind of the fun kooky elements that you could bring into you know, your educational programming around this time of year. And so it really is a full team effort. Everybody from the animal husbandry department to our exec team gets in on decorating the museum and developing the programming. And so it's something that's really special and it continues to evolve. Each year, we do a little something different. And this is the first year that we've actually done a full theme for it. Usually we just do kind of spooky science, but this year we decided to go full mad scientist lab. So hopefully the public will enjoy. Kate says another special event is happening that day as well. The historic Mormon Fort State Park that's next to the museum is doing Nevada Ween on the same day. So folks can park in our parking lot and walk over to their event as well if folks want to go check out the fort. So they will have programming over there and some trick-or-treating opportunities as well. So it's a little bit of a a two-for-one if folks want to come out and make a bit of a day of it. Now, Nevada Day that you mentioned, I'm not familiar with what that is. 
Oh, yes. So being a transplant to Nevada myself, it was a bit of a surprise with how much state pride folks have here. And so there is a state song that everybody knows. And then the Nevada was actually incorporated at the end of the month of October. And so to celebrate, they have made the Friday before the end of October, so the Friday before Halloween, the CCSD, it's a state holiday. So all of the children have the day off from school and folks are just really encouraged to go out into their community and be proud to be Nevadans. Let's go in in our imagination on Friday the 28th. We're going to Mad Scientist Fun at Dinoween. What do we see? What do we experience? Sure. So the first thing you'll see is that Everybody pretty much is in costume. Even our staff is in costume. We're all going to be in our lab coats this year with little personalizations. And so folks will come in, they'll get their tickets to the museum, of course, children for free. And then they're going to see that everything's just a little bit different. And there's, you know, maybe a little bit of mist or a little bit of fog coming from the first couple of galleries and that there'll be stations set up throughout the museum with their different activities. And so we're actually encouraging folks to experience the entire museum. And then they're going to come back to that first gallery on the right-hand side, our International Wildlife Gallery, where we are creating a little bit of a bog and a little shop of horrors kind of plant life idea with the Venus flytraps. And then we're going to have a little behind the scenes look at the science and the tech that's created all of the things that folks have seen throughout the museum. So it'll be really fun with these different stations. We'll have some crafts for the little ones where they can kind of make and take some of their own little Venus flytraps or their bats. And then for the the children that are a little bit older or may be a little bit more interested in the actual science, we'll have owl pellets, eyeball dissections, spooky cauldron potions, and a lot more. Take me behind the scenes, would you, with some of the science and technology behind this? What's some of the kooky science that's going to make this work? (laughs) I am completely amazed at what our community partners have come up with because they really are experts in their industry. You've obviously worked with Mitch with Masterful Creations before. And so he is the brain power behind some of the kind of kooky contraptions that we're creating. And then Tag Team Productions, they are actually experts in special effects and lighting and things like that on a global level. And so they're going to be just enhancing and offering that atmosphere to offset all of Mitch's creations. But the thing that I really love about it is as they're going to peel back the science in that one final stop and show folks... A lot of it is just, you know, well-placed lighting and optical illusions and really simple machines. I know one of Mitch's big things is making sure that STEAM education is accessible and fun. And that's a lot of what's happening behind the scenes with some of the things that they're going to see. I don't want to give away too much because we've got to keep a little bit of a spooky surprise, but it is something that I think people will be really excited about once they kind of learn a little bit more about what they're looking at. I know I go to shows now and am always looking at the lighting and the smoke effects and in very different ways than I used to, just from what I've learned. We also explored an important consideration. When we talk about Dinoween, I don't know what dinosaurs you have. Would you give me a look at, in our imagination, maybe two or three of the dinosaurs that we're going to see? Yes. 
So Dino Gallery needs very little decoration because it's low lit with beautiful spotlighting on these creatures to begin with. So we've recreated to the best of science today, a Tyrannosaurus Rex, a Triceratops, and a Dilophosaurus, among several others. And it's really fun because, of course, everybody loves the T-Rex. He is iconic, or she, we don't know, is iconic for Las Vegas. There's a red button, you get to push it, and the T-Rex will roar at the Triceratops. (laughs) I love it. Exactly, exactly. So T-Rex and a couple of the others are animatronic, so they're very fun. But my personal favorite is definitely Dilophosaurus. It was done by paleo artist Brian N and installed in the museum just two years ago. It incorporates trackway evidence that our lab is actively working with right now from the Valley of Fire. But it's also this crazy looking predator that would have lived in Nevada millions of years ago. It's got this plume of feathers, almost like a mohawk down its back. There's these bright yellow eyes that catch you and big teeth as soon as you come through the door. And it is definitely on the hunt as you come through. So it is in motion, which is very cool. I saw a picture and I'm I'm so glad you said the name because I didn't know what that was. It looks like a cross between a pterodactyl and big bird. I had never seen that before. (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly and that would have been a predator running around here we do find you know fossil evidence ours is actually based on fossil evidence from northern arizona so that would have been a predator running around here in nevada's prehistoric days i was laughing just before i came on here with you on your facebook page is an eerie activity that people can do you're making slime and maybe (laughs) i won't spoil it by saying what the critical ingredient is for making good slime. But that just cracked me up. That was so much fun. (laughs) What's been one of your absolute favorite moments so far in getting ready for Dinoween 2022? Ooh, again, that's a tricky one because it's just so fun. Every day is something new as we're testing out some of the new experiments. But I do think for me, one of my favorites is going to have to be the traditional puking pumpkin. I do love the slime. It's a crowd favorite, but the puking pumpkins and the idea of the the endothermic reactions that are happening there. And you can, we're kind of testing to control the size of that reaction right now. I, it's just always so fun to see. (laughs) There's always just something a little unexpected about it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So do people need to wear a raincoat or something? You're going to go past this pumpkin and suddenly it tosses its (laughs) coat. No raincoats needed. We understand you want to reuse your costumes, most likely, folks. But <laughs> we are going to have a couple of areas that are are sectioned off a little bit so that folks aren't part of the blast zone as these different experiments are happening. Oh, this is going to be hilarious. This is very different from any of the natural history museums I remember when I was a kid where you couldn't touch and you could only look. This is just going to be so much fun. <laughs> you mentioned something about eyeball dissection before. I wanted to ask you about that. How are you doing that? Sure. So we actually have several ethically sourced cow eyeballs that we had done some spooky science with in the past. And so our team is bringing that back exclusively for this event where we're going to do a little bit of a demonstration and show because cow eyeballs are really similar to human eyes. And so compared to some of the other animals out there where there's like really big discrepancies, So it's a really great way to teach about the human eye. It's a little bit gross. 
It's a lot of bit gross. Let's be honest. So if you're into gross for Halloween, this is the one for you. But it's, yeah, it's a really great teaching opportunity. And to be able to look at that and and see, and it because it's obviously bigger than a human eye too, it's much easier to see the different aspects of the eye there. We have a wide range in Halloween. There's the gross factor. People really like the folks getting into the zombies and stuff. And then there's the dark rides people who like the cut out pumpkins and the fake witches. What do you have for folks of that nature that really don't want to see cow eyeballs, but they might want to do something fun that's Halloween-ish? Sure, sure. We do understand that there is a spectrum and we find that on our own team as well. And so what we've offered there is we have a nocturnal craft activity where it's you get to make your own bat. And it's something very simple, but we've got the instructions and, of course, the googly eyes as one needs. And we talk about the aerodynamics and echolocation and how these animals find their different ways around. And then the same thing with creating your own little Venus flytrap model. We talk about how carnivorous plants interact in the wild. And then you have your own little Venus flytrap that you can take home with you and and have a little something spooky to show off to your friends and family when you get home. Your own Audrey 2022. How fun. Exactly. <laughs> you mentioned Mitch before. We better give full credit here. That's Mitch Balpartita, Masterful Creation Steam Academy is Mitch's company. And I've had him on. He's a good friend of the show. I've had him on a couple times so far, and he is absolutely amazing. I don't know the other company you mentioned, though. Would you tell me a little bit more about them? Of course. So Tag Team Productions is owned and operated by an amazing gentleman named Emo Palumbo. And Emo is one of the world's foremost experts on lasers and special lighting effects. If you go to his website, his clients include a whole list of A-list celebrities and tours and different things like that. But he started volunteering with us at the museum because he's got a passion for museums, natural history museums in particular. And it's a passion that he's inherited from his mother, which I love. And so he's just, he and his wife, Therese, and their whole team have just become part of our museum family. And anytime that they're in town, which is tricky because obviously they're in high demand, but anytime that they're in town, they make time to help enhance whatever we've got going on at the museum. And they never disappoint. So if anybody has anything happening and you need some special effects or lighting, they were also at our science festival this past year, as was Mitch and Masterful Creations. And they let the children operate the lighting and AV system as though they were part of the crew with instruction. So that was really fun. They love public education. They love getting folks interested in their industry. And yeah, so it's a perfect partnership for us. We're very, very happy. How excited. But what if somebody listening is not going to be in Vegas? Do you have any online resources people can check out? We do. I'm so glad you asked about that. As you saw, we are posting tutorials on how to make your own experiments at home from time to time. So Slime is our first one we got up. And I will note that our education director mentioned that if you use clear glue and not the white glue, you can put sparkle in it. So then your slime can be sparkly. We also are posting some other tutorials on how to make your own science experiments at home throughout the month. And especially that weekend, we'll be posting some of the activities that are happening at the museum so that if folks aren't in Las Vegas and can't make it in, that they could try a little something on their own. Because like we said, most of it 
is really simple once you kind of peel back the magic and the effects a little bit. And a lot of the things that we're offering can be done with household items that folks can find and try and and invent with on their own and kind of customize a little bit too and become their own little mad scientist. Let's be sure and give links to where people can find all of this, lvnhm.org, if I have that right. It's always the, yes, the Las Vegas Natural History Museum acronym. And there's always a letter that gets caught up in there for me too. But yes, lvnhm.org. And then we're on all the social channels as well. Our handle is lvnh, and then M kicks off museum, all one word on Instagram and Twitter. What's that day going to be like for you? Let's suppose that now seven o'clock in the morning, that Friday, and you're going to get up and you're going to come over to the museum. And what are you looking at? What's going to be happening? <laughs> so I'm going to get up and I am most likely going to be a vampire lab assistant. So I'll be putting on my vampire costume first. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm going to head over to the museum and we'll have everything staged from the evening before. And basically, we'll walk in and it's lights, camera, action. So we are going to have our registration. We've had a little bit of a bottleneck at registration before because so many folks were excited. So we're bringing the registration table outside this year so we can get folks into the museum faster. We're still recommending that they pre-register. Go ahead and get those kids tickets even online ahead of time. So all they have to do is scan their QR code and then come into the museum. Once they come into the museum, again, our entire staff will be in costume and they'll be, you know, nothing too crazy because we don't want to intimidate people. But as they venture and start to explore into the different galleries, every gallery is going to have some sort of twist or something a little different. And there'll be a couple of surprises along the way, too. Without spoiling the surprise, can you tell me what one of those galleries twists will be? <laughs> Yes. I have to think about which one I want to reveal. I will say one of the ones I'm particularly excited about is a creation of Mitch's that he's going to be including in our geology gallery. And so it's a rather small gallery. And we were talking about what we could do that would be really interesting to look at, but we don't really have an activation space in that area. And so he's come up with this really cool idea for a tension structure that'll have little miniatures of people and it'll look like it's being held together by sort of magic and it'll just be kind of like floating on its own podium there. So as folks walk in, it's a very beautiful gallery in that there's crystals and rocks and everything everywhere, but the feature is really going to be this one exhibit where from a distance, it's just going to look like a cool, maybe adaptation of minerals or something like that into a structure. And as folks get closer, they'll be able to see that it's its own little microcosm. Ooh. Now I wish I would be in Vegas on that yes. Friday. That would be absolutely <laughs> incredible. What do you consider has been the most interesting part of putting this together creatively? What's been the best challenge or the best area for growth when you do something different every year? I think the best challenge and opportunity has been evolving with the community. So year one, we just kind of, we've always done educational programming around Nevada Day and, you know, the spooky science and whatnot, but it's only the last couple of years that we've really formalized it into an event and been able to build on, you know, what worked in the previous year and 
science and technology is just so accessible these days. And it's evolving so quickly that there's exciting new things on the horizon that we wouldn't have even thought were possible three years ago. And case in point, we it won't be for this year, but we did get a grant from MGM to incorporate VR into some of our educational programming. So we're building that program right now, and you'll see that incorporated next year where we'll be able to make it even more immersive for folks who want to have that experience. And so it's it's just taking it up a level every single year. And, you know, we've started with the traditional you know, different stations and and hands-on activities and been able to take it to this immersive experience for all ages where we're at now. And so really the sky's the limit. We'll see where our imagination takes us next year. That is the most exciting part. I'm envisioning a lot of the young visitors that come this time, maybe working with you 10 years from now on immersive technology or something of that nature. What's been one of your absolute favorite responses from one of your young visitors or anybody really? when you've had this in the past? I think for me, and it's very cliche, but it's one of those where when you hear that, whoa, when the pumpkin pukes or when we had done a potions table that I had swapped in on so that my team member could take a lunch break last year or the year before, I forget. And it was acids and bases. And it was super simple in that you know, we started with a clear liquid, we mixed in some simple ingredients, and it turns pink, you mix in a little different concoction, and it changes the acidity, and it goes back to clear. And it was like a magic trick, you know, but, but seeing how folks were so interested, and surprised by how cool science could be, that whoa, is totally what does it for me. That really would totally do it for me, too. That just sounds amazing. I didn't want to forget to mention that this is not the only cool thing you have happening over the weekend of the 28th through the 30th. Yeah, so we are going to continue with our spooky programming, our regular science Saturday, and then we actually have our living history presentation by local actor Ellis Rice. He does an interactive performance in our ancient Egyptian gallery, and he'll be doing that on that Sunday at noon and interactive Egyptian because it's kind of an important anniversary this year? That's right. We are celebrating the centennial, so that's 100 years since the discovery of King Tut's tomb. So November 1922, Howard Carter discovered the tomb, and we are doing some specialty programming, focused more at ages 12 and up on Friday the 4th, so the very following weekend. And we're actually going to be hosting Shifting Sands, the local belly dance group, who's going to be doing traditional ancient Egyptian dances, along with Ellis doing an abbreviated version of his show. And then our headliner for the evening is Dr. Ken Castle, who's known as Doc Phineas on the History Channel. And he is an Egyptologist and an archaeologist who spent his career in Egypt and India. And he's going to give a presentation on basically where Howard Carter started with archaeology through to what archaeology looks like today, where it's much more culturally sensitive and the technology has really, really enhanced the ability to get better data while being less destructive, which is huge for the whole field. I love how you're combining 
the belly dance, the arts. We've got history, we've got storytelling, and we've got science with that technology. What's some of the coolest ways in which you're seeing storytelling get woven into all of this? Ooh, that's a great question. Because that is really what I've started to craft our education around. Folks love science. And if they have the background and the context, it's really easy to jump in. But I understand being somebody who didn't have that background when I was in elementary school, that it can also be really intimidating. So by storytelling, by creating this scene, by creating context, we're able to really draw folks in in a way that's maybe more familiar, more accessible, and then show them through that storytelling how science is part of our everyday lives and how the different inventions are enhancing our ability to better tell those stories moving forward with more factual information. What's one story you would share with someone who maybe didn't have that background to spark their interest in science? (laughs) It's difficult to choose, but I do think, I think I would go with one of the big, and it is a hot topic in the entire museum industry right now, is that traditionally, especially when we're looking at ancient Egypt, it was a very destructive colonial infrastructure for how archaeology was operating 100 years ago. And we've really come a long way in better identifying what the ancient Egyptians' lives were really like through better technology. And also letting the folks of Egypt today tell their own history, because I think there's been a lot of storytelling that's been imposed on folks. And so it's been really, really exciting to see that folks are reclaiming their own history and telling their own stories with these really beautiful, authentic voices. And that's something that I think is really magical, because Storytelling is one of the oldest formats that we have for sharing communication as people. And so by getting these authentic voices into the conversation and leading these conversations and having the technology support the data and making it more accessible for folks to do really great research to enhance these stories, it's just completely transforming how archaeology operates today. Which is great because I don't remember anybody saying, wow, this is destructive back when, 20, 30 years ago, people just dug, oh, look what I found. That was it. And they didn't seem to care as much about the stories as we do today. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, it, it's important that we're, we're being respectful of folks' lineage and, and realizing that, you know, the mummies are people's ancestors and not Victorian party tricks, basically. So (laughs) exactly. These were human beings. They are not things. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So it's been really, really beautiful. And, and especially for a little bit more sophisticated audience, I've found that a lot of folks maybe haven't thought about it that way, or just really had a space to kind of interact with where the industry is at these days. And so it's a really exciting time to be part of, you know, this natural history museum, because we're so young, compared to, you know, the other institutions in the world, we're able to really meet our community where they're at, 
and craft our policies and our collection plans to reflect best practices that are happening right now. So that's really when you fun. say Las Vegas Natural History Museum is young. You're what about a 30-year-old institution? Is that about right? 31 this year. 31. Good memory. Yeah. Happy birthday to the museum. What thank you. What do you most want to accomplish going forward, not just with future Dinoweens and all the cool stuff like VR, but in general with bringing science more accessibly to people through storytelling? Exactly. That, I think you summed it up right there, Dot. You you hit the nail on the head, as it were, because what we found in speaking with institutions throughout the world and looking at other models is that we've got something really special here. Very few natural history museums in the world get folks as close to the science as we're able to, and very few of them are 501c3 nonprofits still. We're community-founded, we're community-funded and community-built, and so we have this really unique position as a center for learning and science and education in our community in a way that you might not find other places But one of the things that I have found most rewarding in my time at the museum so far is that we are literally cultivating the next generation of scientists. I was thrilled this past summer. We heard about several of our former lab volunteers and just museum volunteers in general, interns and whatnot as well, who were literally spread across the globe at different dig sites and going into different graduate programs and It's exciting to see what these young people are bringing to the field and to the industry. And like we're talking about with technology, as the technology keeps pace and these folks continue to push the boundaries of science, it's going to be really exciting to see what this next generation accomplishes. So we, our mission starts with the word to inspire, and that is our anchor point. That's our our bedrock. We are here to inspire the community, inspire that next generation of scientists, and maybe even just inspire ourselves a little bit. I know I learned something new every single day. I really learned from you before when we talked about the dinosaurs. I had no idea that it was such a thing as a dinosaur with feathers. That blew me away. Yeah. As you inspire, what do you need most? How can people best support you? Ah, thank you for asking that. We are always looking for folks who are willing to donate their resources, be time, money, energy, and expertise. So if anybody has excess of those, we would love to accept. You can donate monetarily on the website. We have a little donate button. You can also fill out our volunteer application form. And we do do a couple of special activities throughout the year, like our King Tut event that's coming up. And so really just coming out to the museum, become a member, read the newsletter, be part of our community and participate. That's really what we're here for. And I'm assuming donating time would be something people can do if they're local, but probably not remote. Is that correct? Correct. For the most part, there are a couple of options sometimes. But yes, for the most part, we are looking for folks who are local with donating time. Of the NHM.org. Correct. What are we looking at for 2023 for the Las Vegas Natural History Museum? What's coming up? Even more exciting things. It's kind of funny because when I stepped up as co-executive director, I thought, okay, it's going to be busy for a little bit. But to see the community's response to some of the new programs that we've been working on is just phenomenal. So we are going to continue enhancing the museum. We have several different projects, long-term projects that we're working on behind the scenes right now. So 
Hopefully you and I will get to chat about those a little bit later in the year. And then, of course, we'll have our summer traveling exhibition, our Ingolstadt traveling exhibition series. And so that'll be coming in June and we'll stay through the Labor Day weekend. So more on that to come in the future. Can't wait to hear. Finally, what would you really like people to take away from Dinoween and from the museum in general about innovation, creativity and making a difference? I think it goes back to what we talked about even before when we were talking about Da Vinci is don't be intimidated by the science. Don't be afraid. It really is fun once you get in there and you're willing to get a little bit messy. And once you sort of see how some of these basic scientific principles work, it's really fun to experiment and see what the world has to offer. So that would be my biggest takeaway. I hope we inspire folks to go home and try their own experiments or try and teach friends and family how to make their own bats or their own little Venus fly traps or whatever it is that catches their imagination. That's really what I hope people take away. Kate, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Dot. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. You and I have been listening to Kate Porter, co-executive director of Las Vegas Natural History Museum. If you're in the Las Vegas area on Friday, October 28th, don't miss Dinoween happening from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. This is going to be a blast. You'll find more information on Dinoween and the museum's additional upcoming special events, including that Living History presentation on October 30th, on their website, lvnhm.org. Now, what if you're not local? They have a bunch of resources check out both their YouTube channel, Las Vegas Natural History Museum, and get a look at the More tab on their website, which again is lvnhm.org. Meanwhile, a very happy Dinoween to you and yours, and watch out for those puking pumpkins. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.